Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour with Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Um, sad news to start at the top. A lot of people know from last night, uh, we were scheduled to have Lindsay Theory on, covers the Rams and the NFL for ESPN. Um, un- uh, unfortunately, she um, is mourning the, the passing today of Vaughn McClure, who covered the Falcons for ESPN, uh, worked at the Chicago Tribune before that. Um, only 48 years old. I, I know our our uh, colleagues, um, former colleagues at ESPN and really around the NFL in that community are, are all deeply sad. And so Lindsay, understandably, um, not coming on tonight. Uh, we certainly pass our best on to everyone who knew him uh, and his family. Um, it's just a, a really sad story. <laughs> it's really, uh, it's a hard one to hear in a year where you're just, bombarded with sad stories yeah so uh, we'll, we'll obviously tough. welcome obviously welcome Lindsay back on at, at another time when uh you know at, at a happier time um but a lot to cover today like this is a, a surprisingly busy nba day you don't usually get you know three days out of the finals this much interesting stuff happening at once but daryl Morey, uh, <laughs> do you though i like i, I feel like i can't I remember like, right i guess that's true like I, every I, year it's like oh we'll get three or four days off yeah i mean it will happen I, I was gonna say i feel like this is actually pretty typical except i can't remember what typical is right also, it feels weird that it's happening in october yeah but i mean i i actually right. think this is kind of part of the course. Just nothing is normal anymore. Yeah, maybe that's it. Um, oh, Lang Whitaker. Uh, you know, we know our friend from the Memphis Grizzlies uh, sending gifts out of uh, the Atlanta Braves to troll Dodgers fans. We hey, see you, know what? We see you, Lang. Lang is a proud Atlantan. And he is allowed to do that in the same way that Angelinos would do the exact same thing if we were some yeah. type of late night happy hour with an Atlanta flair <laughs> and the Dodgers were up three. Well, we would have exactly what we, they would nothing do. else, we'd have more chicken wings. Um, so we'll 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 talk about Daryl Morey because that is a fascinating story. I think what happens now in Houston, um, the really what the legacy of Daryl Morey is with that team. Like there is a lot to 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 get into when it comes to Daryl Morey. Uh, Ty Lue has a, finally got his five years, Andy. Ty Lue got his five years. Yes, he did. Um, and it's from the Clippers, not the Lakers. It's still Los Angeles. He got five years in L.A. Um, yeah. Overall, that's what he was looking for. So um, that is, I think, kind of an interesting one as well. So a lot to talk about there. Um, but Some Laker news in terms of uh, potential free agency as well. Oh, yeah. We're right. A lot of Lakers stuff. You're right. But unfortunately... And this, John Weissman, our guest last night, uh, author of two outstanding Dodger books, author of the Great Dodger Thoughts website, which is basically how I've been learning and reading about the Dodgers, like more or less since blogs were invented Dodger in this thought. town. Um, we talked a lot about pain last night, mm-hmm. talked a lot about suffering. Oh, um, as it turns out, um, not to... Uh, disprove the, or I, I guess take exception to the words of a great philosopher, Dalton, mm-hmm. in Roadhouse. But as it turns out, pain do hurt. Pain pain do hurt. Pain do uh, hurt. He told us for, you know, since the late 80s that pain don't hurt. Turns out, pain do hurt. Yeah, and this, what we saw tonight uh, in game four, 
was not just pain, Andy, for Dodgers fans. It was a very specific and recurring kind of pain. Yes. It was the same pain that we I mean, I don't, and you don't even need it. We talked about this again last night, too. You don't even need to be a big Dodgers fan to feel this pain. This is the not just the Dodgers pain, this is the Clayton Kershaw pain. And once again, in game four, Kershaw didn't ultimately did not come through um, ultimately did not pitch well enough. And ultimately it was in one of these nights where you can look at it and say, yeah, but as you can for almost every one of these disappointing Kershaw nights, you know, yeah, but uh, the Dodgers only had three hits while he was in the game. You're not going to win with three hits. And, you know, against the guy who had been in the major leagues for like an hour, mm-hmm. um, you know, the bad luck of Kershaw, you know, the, that sixth inning, he comes out, Acuna chops the ball over his head like it was a good 3-2 pitch, and it was horrible luck. It goes over his head. Kike tries to make a great play. You know, he probably should eat that ball, or at the very least, Muncie needs to stop it. And so Acuna stays at first. Instead, he's at second. It's a completely different inning. Second man on second, nobody out man first, and then, you know, double for Freeman. And then you get to the same thing as it always is. Should Dave Roberts have taken him out to to, uh, to face Marcel Ozuna? He didn't. Ozuna doubles. Basically, that's your ballgame. Like, it's, it is the, I don't think you can be more Kershaw than this one, where it's like, okay, he did really well, but, and, you know, if somebody else had helped him, but, but at the same time, he didn't, in the end, he didn't quite pitch well enough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, I guess like a combination of Groundhog Day and Mad Libs, because yeah. it do, it, you it's feel like you don't even you don't even feel like you need to know the exact details to finish the story. Like you can actually just throw in certain adjectives or you know got rocked somewhere you know at a blank spot in the story, and it won't matter. And it's it's horrible to watch with somebody like Clayton Kershaw who is without question you know among the greatest pitchers of any generation much less his own and it's horrible to see frankly with Dave Roberts who no matter what you think of him as a manager and you know as I talked about last couple shows if there's one thing we can rely on with October it's Dave Roberts firing season so you know there are plenty of Dodger fans that don't like him but he is a great human being like you will never hear a bad word about dave roberts so those are two people that for a variety of reasons you want to see succeed and they are just affixed together in these very specific failures yeah and you know tonight tonight it was slightly different in the sense that you know it wasn't wildly obvious. Like I, I was texting Greg Bergman after this, of course, our resident Dodger, um, you know, kind of Dodger diehard, you know, you know, we've had him on the show. We, you know, he was on last week talking about all this stuff. And I texted, him, I was like, you know, you got to get him out. You got to get him out. On Ozuna. Even Greg was like, I, I can't, I can't kill um, Dave for this. I can't kill Roberts for this because, you know, he was pitching reasonably well. Uh, you know, Acuna didn't hit the ball hard. Freeman did, but Acuna didn't. Um, and you just look at him like, just one time, one time, 
I would like Dave Roberts to be like, hmm, I'm going to give him one more guy. And then like be like, you know what? That's my signal to get him out. Like I'm going to, you know, tonight when I think one more guy, I'm going to pull him. And if I well, pull him one batter too early, fine. You know but what it is? Leaving it, you know I mean, Acuna, the, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's the episode of Seinfeld where George becomes obsessed with leaving on a high note. Yes. And, you know, he tells a great joke and then he leaves the meeting and leaves his entire office, even though there's a full work day ahead of him. And he ends up going to see a movie yes. or something like that. Like there, there is a point where Dave Roberts needs to err on the side of Clayton Kershaw has done his job and right. I'm going to take him out. I mean, and it, the pitch count was low. It yes. wasn't like he was at all 90 of pitches or 100. But it's just one of these things. It's like it's the third time through the order. It's all of this stuff. And Kershaw isn't the guy that he was when he was 26 or 25, 26, 27, when you can just rely on him to be able to get those, those, those outs. He doesn't strike people out in the same way anymore. He doesn't miss bats. He's still very good. And that's, but he's not that guy. You can't treat him like he's the eight. And why didn't they have somebody yes. up? That's really adding like Gratterall or someone should have been up to start the inning. And I don't you know, care if that offends your starting pitcher. Right, exactly. I don't care. That's you, you, he should be ready to go. It, it's funny, actually. At as the fifth inning really began, you know, I was watching with my wife, who is a now extremely uh, upset Dodger fan. Yes, but I, I, yeah, this is not a pleasant time in uh, the old Casa de Kamenetsky. Well, the, good thing is the, the Cowboys are. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the good thing I is do she, not relish the Dak Prescott injury. I am not no. crying oh, at God. all about the Cowboys oh. sucking. No, but I mean, but Dak Prescott, my no, God. I mean, I mean, even if I, I, I don't like the Cowboys. I actually do like Dak. Oh, but even if I didn't like Dak, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Right, and plus, I mean, fan. you want to talk about a guy who's having a brutal year. Yes. Period. I mean, well beyond anything in sports. But as that inning just got going, I remarked to my wife, I don't understand why Dave Roberts doesn't have somebody warming up. I couldn't and believe literally, it. I couldn't literally, believe. as I said that to her, I get a text from you saying, I can't believe Dave Roberts doesn't have somebody warming up. How do you and, not start the inning with that? It's just exactly. it's mind-boggling to me. Like Whether you are worried about offending Kershaw, whether you're worried about, I don't want to get some guy up and warming and then not using it, what you have well, you to know, be, If you warm up Gratterall, you know he's coming in at some point. You're not, sure, but Kershaw's I'm not, not going past the six. Whatever. I, I'm just trying, I'm trying to come up with any scenario. Yeah, anything. That, you anything. Would, that you would make you skittish. Any. You have and to look at Kershaw's recent history and play those odds. But and if it turns out it was unnecessary, so be it. Right. And it's it's look. I mean, Gratterall Gratterall pitched into some really bad luck. I mean, he they they did not exactly sting the ball all over the park with him. And I get it. But my my big problem is like I, I wouldn't have pulled him to face Freeman. Like that's that's a little extreme. Acuna literally dribbled the ball over his head. Marcelo Zuna against left-handed pitching this year has been staggeringly good. 356 batting average, uh, 856 um, slugging, a uh, buck 33 OPS. Like, I mean, it's, okay, small sample size, like 75, you know, 45, 50, 60 OPS. It was a 60-game season. There are only so many opportunities. He also was the guy who hit the home run against Kershaw earlier in the game. Yep. No. No, it's like last year 
he gives up the first home run against Milwaukee. I, you know, you want to run him back out for that next inning because he was so dominant to end the inning before fun. Milwaukee or the Nationals? I'm sorry, the Nationals. Thank you. Um, it gets hard to keep them straight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like you want to you want to run him back out there. Fine. As soon as I think it was Rendon who hit the first one. He is. As soon as that happens, gotta go. You just and, and like somebody's got to be ready. Like, and I, I, I wonder this too. Like, as I said before, like I thought watching the replay, I couldn't tell. And Greg and I had this debate too. Like, did Kike need to eat that ball? Because I don't think he had a really good chance of throwing out Acuna who can fly. Um, or did Muncie? Should Muncie have come off the bag to stop it, or both? All I know is Acuna has to finish that play at first base. You cannot have him at second base at the end of that. And you know the the inning is a it's a different inning if he's at first base instead of second. Potentially so, different if nothing things, else. Yeah, all of these things are different, and so it's just it's little it's all these little things. And you can look around and like, other than the game where Kershaw was staked to like what it was what you know, we t- you know the, the eight to two lead or six whatever it was they ultimately lose. Like there's always this thing when he goes, it's like he doesn't get help. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, he's also failing. Like it, you want to defend him, and the yeah, but there's always a yeah, but. But the same things he ultimately tonight. It's a, this goes down as another. Ah, he wasn't good enough. He yeah, wasn't. I mean, again, to be clear, he did not get enough help, and the Dodger offense, you know, the 15 run explosion, notwithstanding, and, you I know, the rally that they should have saved some. Right. I, well, I mean, people always say that. The truth is, you can't. <laughs> but if it were no, that, that's you, actually no, it's not true. You are all allowed to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying it, it. It's it's runs are not rationable. Like if, if they were, everybody would do it. No, little little known baseball strategy, Andy. You are allowed to say, you know what? We'll take those and apply them for tomorrow. Like so, like a down payment. Like yeah, I didn't realize you're allowed you could do to do that. I'm surprised people don't do it more often. That's that's interesting. So but I mean, so so yeah, it's like ahead. buying runs on have one more. It's like buying runs on collateral, essentially, exactly, like yeah. like like a hawk shop. Yes, and I didn't know exactly. you could do that. But uh, um, it it reminded me though that this situation with Dave Roberts and and you had you had alluded to it earlier when you, or when you said that he needs to recognize who Kershaw is at this stage of his career. I remember during Kobe's final season, Byron Scott ended up answering yes. a question that I, I asked him, and it's one of the most honest things I've ever heard a coach say to any response to any question in our entire time doing this. It, Kobe, for people that remember that year, started out just playing these insane minutes that he clearly at this stage of his career was not capable of handling. And you could see it over these games that he was just run down. And after games, you and I both noticed how often Kobe was saying, you know, I'm tired, man. I'm beat. And which Kobe never did, like never. And, you know, the running joke I always had was, you know, when told of Kobe expressing fatigue after these games, Byron Scott's response was, well, that's just fatigue talking. But eventually, like... Right. Yes. Like we know, but God, eventually you know, he's over, you know, Andy's over there really slurring his words and all that kind of stuff. I think he might be dry. I don't worry about it. It's just the alcohol. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So eventually though, Kobe and Byron reached this agreement. They had to sit down and they figured out a pretty regimented 
minutes restriction for Kobe that Byron was pretty strict keeping him at. And I remember, at, and, and this was something that both of them really ended up announcing and, and addressing. And I asked Byron during this press conference and talking about it, is it hard for you to see Kobe as anything other than prime Kobe number eight, prime Kobe 24, Black Mamba? And he said, yeah. And it was an incredibly honest moment from him. Just, you know, the the professional and personal respect that Byron had for Kobe and, and you know the relationship that they had, and they were very, very close, made it very difficult for Byron to really wrap yeah. his head around where Kobe was in his career. And you wonder how much of that happens with, with Kershaw. I, I think there's Dave a, Roberts. There's the aspect of that. I think I think it's less that now, other than it was just like not being as proactive as you normally would for a lesser. Pitch. But that, but that's part of what I'm talking. But about. I, but I, you know, for example, like is is it, you know, it's not malpractice that they didn't have somebody. It's not like you're sitting there going, oh my god, what the hell is happening here. That there wasn't somebody up and ready. He was, at, you know, I think he finished the the inning before with like sixty eight pitches or something seventy. But it was, it was, there was no reason to be worried, except it's game four of a playoff series. That if you go down three to one, you're probably going to lose. You, I don't. If if, if Walker Buehler was was pitching in a one one game and rolling, I would be. I'd still want somebody ready. Exactly. To go in, and exactly. I, I, but I, I think it's. I think it's that. I think it's also too. I wonder if subconsciously, does Kike make that throw, trying a little too hard, like five percent harder, like you know anybody else? Maybe you eat it. You know, it's the playoffs. I could be. This might be projection on a silly level. But like our are, are guys trying a little harder to make a great play for Kirsch are, you know, does Muncie come off the bag just to make sure that ball gets stopped, but instead he tries to make a great play for Kershaw. Like, I don't know. And I, I and I, and that may be so it, but like, this is, if this is sports, but also too, this is, this is one of the things that about baseball that is part of the poetry of it. It's part of the art. It's part of the pain. It's part of. Think about the first inning of Game Three. Dodgers score eleven runs. It's a record. They hit three home runs. First time that's ever happened in a postseason game. All of these things. What was the impetus for that rally? You remember? No. Mookie Betts beats out of play. Okay. That yes. Initially yes. called out. Yes. Yes. And yes, the replay yes. shows that he's safe. A decade ago, or whatever it is, before there's replay, he's out. And who knows? Maybe you know that that kid is pitching still off the windup, and got the first guy out, and he doesn't have Mookie Betts on first or whatever. And the Dodgers may not score that inning. Like it's it's just the, the margins in sports. If if Acuna chops that ball. And it, the first bounce is six inches further out. Maybe it lands in Kershaw's glove and he's out at first. Like, oh, it, it's got to be infuriating to sit there and know that the thing started on a seeing eye dribblery type thing. And, like, and I'm glad he's a man of faith, Kershaw, because God, <laughs> this shit's got to be hard. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, he he must feel like Sisyphus, you know, just the the legend the, in, in Greek mythology of the, of the guy at the bottom of that pit who's just rolling that huge boulder all the way to the top, and then it keeps dropping back down, and he's just cursed to do this over and over and every, over every for year. eternity, in, every year. Yes, and it's not just it's not even just like a question of, and it's like. We, I made this point last night, and I'm still kind of missing. Like, how many playoffs has he been in now? I don't have the number in front of me. And I'll look Kershaw? it up. After, yeah, I'll look it up after I'm done here. But he's been to the postseason eight or nine times, right? At this point, seven, eight, nine times. One would think. I mean, like, how do they not get to a place where just by damn pure luck? The Dodgers don't need him to be great. Like they win the other games and he gets to like through the World Series and he wins. This is his 10th postseason. This is his 10th postseason. None of those times could he get lucky and just, you know, gosh, man, we, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, guys. We kind of carried our ace through the post. Like it it never happens. It always falls apart on, and and it's, I guess, supposed to, but it's like dumb luck says maybe he'd win one on accident at this point. This is something we were talking about yesterday with John where, Ultimately, for for this thing to go away for Kershaw, obviously it would be most it's beneficial. If he, at this it, point, it's never going. I'm convinced it's never going to. But I, I was going to say, for it to go away, obviously it would help if Kershaw just had a postseason where he's just locked in and dealing and looking like the guy that is, you know, the entirety of his career. But also, if the Dodgers just win a damn World Series. It doesn't really matter with him anymore. It, it doesn't, although it, I think he needs – it can't be one where, let's say he sticks around. I know there's a possibility he won't be on the team in three years. He could be somewhere else. But let's um, – thank you, John, John <laughs> joining in the show. Chrysisiphus. I mean, that's – yeah, that's that's yes. what this is. Um, yes. As John Weissman points out. I just I, – I feel like – it failure is one of the things that makes sports compelling. Um, athletes at the end of their careers are, I, I, I found end of end of career Kobe more interesting, trying to hang on Kobe in a lot of ways, more interesting than peak Kobe, all fascinating in different ways, but athletes at the end of their career, when they're trying to figure out how to end it, trying to get that last thing, whatever it might be, like that is amazing from a storytelling standpoint, but I, it's like happy stories are good too. Like yeah. they don't all have just because this story of Kershaw from like if you were writing fiction is sort of poetic in a sad and kind of a you know way that he never wins, he never gets over the hump. He's this amazing thing in the you know, and I see somebody you know the kid uh, from NYC points out sort of like Jim Kelly territory now. Yes, he is. Like Jim Kelly was a spectacularly good quarterback. Yeah. And Kershaw is going to get, you know, it'd be better if he wasn't as good because then he never would have been able to get his team stocked in him alone. I mean, like those Utah Jazz teams, I don't think it can be overstated just how shitty the luck they had in terms of era. Mm -hmm. Like, think about the teams that they, that were part of their era that, you know, that they had to compete against regularly. Showtime Lakers, Jordan's Bulls, the back-to-back Rockets, like the Bad Boy Pistons, the the Kobe Shaq Lakers, San Antonio, like they most of the teams 
that were part of that era were not just good enough to win multiple titles. They were like good enough to go back to back. Yes. Like the, the era that they were a part of was just brutally and, hard. And think, Andy, but think too then also about the the luck of Hakeem Olajuwon. You know, I mean, I you know, how is how is his career thought of differently if Jordan decided to play baseball? And who's to say? Like they might have still won. I don't know if Jordan's going to win eight straight titles or whatever. I mean, it Steve is, Kerr but. has said before that there's no way they win eight straight. He said Michael needed that break. Sure, I understand that, but like you know, but like, but you, but maybe they win one, maybe a lot. But like, just all of these things, like that, just happen to be like land boom right there. Jordan's gone. We win two. Jordan comes back, and I realize it's not the same team. Different things happen. They don't. They don't. They, they don't even get to the. They, they never made another finals even. Um. So you know, there's. There's just the, the I asked, I, I, you know, I know a lot like everything in this town, it always comes back to Kobe, but so it's because the stories are so good. You know, I asked him once, you know, if, if, you know, they don't spook the nets out of taking you and, you know, the, you know, the, the, you end up in, in Brooklyn or I'm sorry, in New Jersey and whatever, do you think you win all these titles? And he said, absolutely. I was like, how? He said, I figured out. And it's not like the Nets were not a garbage organization at that point. Like, you know, they, they had good players. But the, the answer is, of course, he wouldn't have won that many titles. I mean, the, the, the stuff that has to come together for that kind of success is just, I mean, it, there's so much like cosmic luck that if one ball goes one way, and we'll talk about this with Daryl Morey in, in terms of the Rockets. We can talk about it now because Daryl Morey, in a lot of ways, is, is a GM version of Clayton Kershaw, you know, excellent at the regular season and thought less of because he never won a title. But I mean, I saw this number, uh, whoever wrote him up in the ringer, the only team that won more games while Daryl Morey was the, the GM of the Rockets were the Spurs. Like that's it. Yeah. They made the play. They have the longest active playoff streak. Like the Rockets are an enormously successful team, but Morey is, I think respected, but derided in a lot of ways too, because his teams never actually won. But like you said, Andy, look at the teams you got to get through. Sometimes they were, they came closer to beating the warriors than anybody except, you know, LeBron when he actually beat them. But other than that, nobody else in the Western conference got as close to the warriors as the Rockets did. Yeah. And there's going to be this big thing with Houston during this offseason. We're gonna we're gonna get to the questions about the Lakers too with their offseason because there's news coming out yeah, about absolutely. You know, AD eventually going to opt out, but planning to resign, KCP opting out, Rondo opting out, you know, the questions about Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard's been linked to Golden State now. But with, with Daryl Morey and and Houston, there's this question now of you know, what do they do? And the the notion of them trying to just blow it up. Let's just say they they have reached a conclusion. This that. isn't going to work. Yeah, or West Westbrook, Harden, both one out, whatever. That is going to be a an, an exceptionally difficult team to blow up. I mean, really, really hard. Like Russell Westbrook's contract will be quite difficult to move, and Harden is a weird case of top five player in the league that is clearly not easy to blend with everybody. I'm not going to say he's impossible because his teams have had success, 
but he's not easy to put with people. You know what I mean? Like, and and between his style of play and the size of his contract, like that's going to be very difficult to figure out, much less trying to move two guys with $40 million contracts, multiple year contracts. And a roster that is built for a style that, you know, isn't, you know, is the new coach really going to want to play? Like they're going to have to revamp that whole thing. But the other thing is to play, if you want to maximize James Harden, you're not going to do that with a bunch of bigs. You're not going to do that with, you know, classic back to the basket centers. Not that those people exist anymore. You know, Clint Capella was, you know, a good pick and roll partner for, for Harden. But like, if you want to get the most out of your stars, and I think that is the name of the game now is what can you do to maximize your star players. And we found with the Lakers, you know, the, it was it was just sort of they, they need an infrastructure that allows these guys to play defense and enough shooting and, you know, enough ball handling that you can get AD where he needs to go. And then you put LeBron next to him and, and that takes care of a lot of the, of the stuff. But, you know, not everybody has LeBron. So you got to figure out what can you do to make James Harden as good as he possibly can be you can't do that by, you know, putting a bunch of guys between him and the basket. It's not a good way to do it. Right. But you know, what's funny is at the same time, they kind of missed Clint Capella during the playoffs. I I actually think his absence was felt, you know, against the Lakers and, you know, just the lack of options that they have to do anything other than just one style of play, like with one specific lineup for one style of play. But just how they approach this moving forward, who they end up hiring as a coach, you know, it's just going to be really, really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Daryl Morey moving forward. You know, what if he ends up latching on somewhere else? Um, I mean, this point, honestly, with everything that happened, he should, if he's going to take a little time off, he might as well get involved with something with Hong Kong. I mean, I, I'm not even kidding. For every for everything I mean, that if, happened, if got, yeah, I mean, it's. Everything that happened with that tweet, I mean, he's he's free to do he's free to do something about an issue that he clearly cares about, and you know that he it's hard to dispute an, the way he feels about thought. it. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, I, I, the Rockets are the, the Rockets are screwed. I mean, I think we can all agree the Rockets are screwed because they're you know beyond the fact that you know, it's not that they don't have good players. I mean, they still have you know Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Robert Covington, like you know PJ. Like it's not that they, they suck, but the problem is they can't get better and. You know, I, I saw this. You know that in, in some of these Mori post mortem, Mori post mortems, that entire starting lineup is going to be over thirty next year. All of them, like you know, we think of the Lakers as a veteran team and kind of old, but Anthony Davis is under thirty. And you know, I mean, they started. You know, not everybody the Lakers started. You know, was was is old. Alex Caruso is in his twenties. Kyle Kuzma is in his twenties. Like they have. Some young important pieces. Every member Taylor of Horton family, Tucker is like thirteen. He's twelve. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually twelve. He's just very tall, so nobody checks his ID. Um, and so, like that team is screwed. They're not getting better in a conference that is is going to lap them. Um, I still think they can make the play. If they don't blow it up. They'll make the playoffs next year, assuming you know those two guys are healthy, or probably will. I think, but. They're they're screwed. I mean, I, I I do think though that that question of like was Daryl Morey like a like like was he a great GM? Was he a good GM? Was he 
you know, somewhere in between. Like, I, how good was he? This, I mean, this look, is a point of debate. I, I, I have my opinion, but I, I, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. He's clearly good because he had a lot of success. And the type of success that he had, even if you don't win at all, is very difficult to, to sustain in this league. It mm -hmm. just is. I mean, he, his track record and winning percentage as a GM smokes most of the league. I mean, that's just a yeah. fact. Um, and he playoffs in like a decade. Right. And he's, he's very clear. He's very clearly a visionary of sorts and, you know, has a pretty expansive view of certain things. Um, I, it was interesting. I heard Zach Lowe talking with Tim McMahon, uh, who covers the Rockets and really the Texas teams for mm -hmm. ESPN. And, and Tim really knows that Houston organization very well. And one thing that they were talking about, and I don't remember if it was Zach or Tim that raised it, but I thought it was an interesting issue, was just the idea that Daryl Morey, you know, he has, he's renowned or infamous for having this, you know, stars at all cost mentality, and he will right. always chase stars. You know, he did it with Dwight Howard, he did it with Chris Paul, did it with Russell Westbrook. You know, uh, I mean, he brought in James Harden before I think people even realized James Harden was a star. But there's always been so much turnover in those locker rooms. And Daryl Morey is known for being a very analytically driven guy, you know, even acknowledging everybody's using analytics. Daryl Morey was in a lot of ways at the forefront of it and is somebody that is, you know, I think even at the high end of that stuff in a league where it's happening for all 30 teams. You do wonder if Daryl Morey put too little emphasis and importance oh, on team culture. Team culture, continuity, who your stars yes. are. Yes. Um, all I mean, the, he's not infallible. Um, no, no, I, no, no, no. Here's what. Here's what I. There are th there are certain things I love about Maury. I love that you know that this philosophy of if you know that he said if you have a five percent chance of winning a title. You have to go. You have to do whatever you can to win. If you if you have a five percent, ten percent, fifteen percent chance of winning something, like you can't pass that up. It's too good, you know. Because five percent can become twenty five percent awfully fast if the wrong guy gets hurt for the other team. You know, all of a sudden, you know, whoa, that got you know, it's wide open now. Um, and you know, so, so I mean, I I respect that they were always good while always pressing to not be the seventh best team in the conference or the fourth best team or whatever, or to keep winning. And I think ultimately that's good for sports. And I think, you know, I, I think he ran into trouble with that under new ownership. Um, and I think the rocket, I think rockets fans could find that they're missing, you know, what they're rockets fans who don't like Maury, I should say, and are happy he's gone could find themselves, uh, a little upset in the next over the next few years if you know Tillman Fertitta really squeezes guys as it seemed like he was doing to Maury. Um, so I like. Well, that. I mean, by all Obviously, accounts, this was Maury's choice. Like this, this was not Fertitta pressuring. No, but I think. Or whatever. But you look at the job. I think you look at the job, and you know you look at the the relationship that you know the the how it deteriorated with. Mike D'Antoni. Oh, no, no, no. I just want to make sure people understand that. Oh, sure. Like, there's sure. been this speculation that this goes back to the Hong Kong tweet. When I, but, no, you know, I don't he, think that's it. No, no. I mean, I've heard uh, Jonathan Fagan. I've heard um, Tim McMahon. I mean, th these are people really, really looped into to the Rockets. And they've all said this was 100% his choice. 
like, you know, Fertitta had planned to move forward. He had publicly declared Morris job safe and he had planned to move forward. I'm just laughing because Lang Whitaker sent another break. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Lang. You we little scamp. We, see, but like again, this is one of these things. You know, guys betray themselves because we love that people participate on the show, but now we know for sure Lang is awake. And so That's true. And so if we say, you know, hey Lang, would you like to come on the show? He can't be pulling the guys, it's midnight where I am. I'm not staying. I, I'm, I'd love to, but I can't. No, we know you're awake. You're so trolling Lang our timeline. Owes, Lang Whitaker owes us an appearance and we will talk all about the delicious food that you make. So that is how we will, we will, we will trade. Um, I, it's just, it's again, it's so hard. Like, you know, Kershaw with a couple breaks here and there has a world series title or at the very least just doesn't have the monumental failures on the way to not having one. Daryl Morey, what happens if Chris Paul doesn't pull a hammy at the end of that game five and they have him available to win one of two games to beat the Warriors? And like the entire arc of NBA history changes. They push the Warriors harder than any other team in the West during during the Warriors run. Like they 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 put nobody pushed those teams harder. So you're right. I mean, if Chris Paul stays healthy, then and, know, uh, gee, and and now now we're not even talking about just Daryl Morey. We're talking about Chris Paul too. Well, like, but you're talking everybody's but also, legacy. But also too, like there, things change for James Harden because I mean I think we were talking about this uh, a couple days ago. Like Harden is obviously a great player, but he is somebody that seems like as a leader, he needs to evolve a lot. I would agree with that. A- and he puts out this very aloof vibe. You know, he's known for being, again, aloof is the the way I would I would put it a lot. It you know, really I've never. Pretty, it's it's the the projection on the floor. It's and the you also and you also never you never hear stories about James Harden being a great leader. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily an awful leader either, but it's pretty telling that he has been you know, a superstar player for several years, you know, an, an MVP, he's a former MVP and he's perennially in that conversation and you never hear, it's not even like a Kawhi Leonard who you hear about like a lead by example type leader, whether you think that's effective enough or not, you never hear anything about Harden's leadership style, period. Like I, I can't recall it. That's unusual. That's like, you know, Giannis has a reputation as a pretty soft-spoken guy that just want, he doesn't want to beat his chest. He wants to go out there and just get the best of everybody else. We know the stories about LeBron, like all these different guys. And, and some of it's just style too. It's like, you know, Russ, Russ is a lot like Jimmy Butler in that sense. Like Russ's teammates love him. I mean, like they're- Yes, they do. Well, almost all of Russ's teammates loved him. Um but like those guys, like that that intensity that he has, is sort of. There's certain guys where it's just, it's not. I I don't. I'm not. I don't know James. I'm not going to pretend like I think you know Harden doesn't care. He doesn't want to win. He's like oh, you yeah. can't get that good. Like, but the style that he plays is a hard one to inspire the people around you, you know. And so, you know, LeBron. LeBron isn't a, a you know is a screamer in the same way that Jimmy Butler is. It's a different approach than Butler. It's a different approach than Westbrook. 
but there's an intensity to it. There's that sort of egalitarianism where he's throwing the ball around to you. He makes the passes. He brings you along. I mean, all that stuff. And he's LeBron F and James too, which also helps. Um, you know, his at this point, he's one of these guys where his mere presence is sort of enough to get everybody in line. He's got so much gravitas at this point that you didn't need to do anything else. Harden isn't there. He's never won at that level. So, you know, you're right. Who you have there, it's not just, you know, that, that they're good. And it's not even that just, are they a good leader, a bad leader, whatever it is, but it's also like, what do they look like? What is the tone that they set? What is the, what is the, what is the culture around them look like that's based off our guy plays like this or does. And so everybody else is going to follow accordingly. And I don't know. And I don't claim to know enough about exactly what goes on inside the Rockets locker room to be like Harden can't do it. All I know is they haven't been able to fix it. So Harden gets enough help that what he does in the regular season can happen in the playoffs. Um, and Maury, the other big criticism, like you said, is just never let things settle enough to where you could find out if, well, what if we tweak instead of sledgehammer? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Sorry, that, was, that was a bit of a monologue, but no, it's okay. No, no. I mean, like, I really, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know in the sense that, you know, it's not a team that you and I know extremely well, but I also don't know because, like, it was hearing Tim talking today um, about when, Chris Paul was part of that team. And, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say Chris Paul is the best star that James Harden's ever been paired up yes, with in, in terms in terms of fit, in terms mm -hmm. of the success that they had. Yeah, I would agree. And he said, you know, Tim said that Chris Paul did not want to leave Houston. And D'Antoni didn't want to lose him. And Daryl Morey didn't want to lose him. And this was really at the end of the day, you know, again, a, per what Tim says, and I, I trust Tim. He is a very, very good reporter. This was really about James Harden's POV and not really wanting to play with Chris anymore, which, okay, I mean, if that's the way it, it works for James Harden, fine. But I do think it reflects that he's just, he's not easy to play with. And I think his style is both not easy to play with, but also too, he as difficult as it is to defend James Harden, by definition, he is a hard guy to stop. I do think though that his play and the ensuing effect that it has on his teams is very predictable to defend. Doesn't make it easy, but I think it's actually very predictable, especially over the course of a series. I, th I think it is hard. I mean, it is, yeah. I think it is a predictable style. Again, it doesn't mean it can't win, and had Chris Paul stayed healthy, I think it was in 2018, a lot of this context may have changed. Yeah, it's but, different. Uh, but nonetheless. Let's, let's Because we want to get to some of the Lakers stuff before we're done tonight. Let's get to Ty Lue, though, because Ty Lue, quite frankly, is a bigger bigger story than Anthony Davis is going to opt out and re-sign with the Lakers. <laughs> like, as we mentioned earlier in the week, Andy, Anthony Davis was is as likely to sign with the Marlins as he is with a different NBA team. I am not worried about it. It's just, what does the contract look like? That's, you know, from an AD standpoint. That's, so Tyloo gets his five years in LA um, from the Clippers, though, not the Lakers. Um, if you remember, you know, you know, that's he wanted the longer deal. The Lakers wouldn't give it to him. The whole thing falls apart. The Clippers kind of had to hire Ty, Ty Lue, like both from a kind of a best available 
person out there, but also best combination of can hit the ground running in a year where the Clippers do not have time for somebody to have to come in and learn everyone. Um, and like you said, sort of that reputational excellence. Like he's he can he's the only guy who can do both at once. Yeah. I mean, it, it's part of the reason why last year that you and I, when Ty Lu was seemingly the first choice for the Lakers, you and I both thought, all right, that makes a lot of sense because the Lakers also don't have time to screw around. Nope. Ty Lu knows LeBron. LeBron is comfortable with Ty Lu. He want I mean, the guy had a the guy had a Laker birthday cake in Vegas. Remember that? He, he was I think he was in Vegas. I know he had the Laker cake. Like he Ty Lu clearly thought that he was going to end up getting hired to coach the Lakers and then they ended up lowballing him with his contract and, and blah, blah we don't need to revisit all that. But that that transition that the Clippers are hoping for with Lou, the familiarity that he has with those guys, they're obviously banking on it. I what I think is going to be really fascinating with Lou is, you know, he's somebody that has been respected around the league, you know, as an up and coming coach for a while. You know, he had been on he had been on I think the Boston staff before. Um, he ended up on Doc's staff with the Clippers. So, you know, he he he's somebody that had you know reputation as a very smart guy when he was a player. And you know he was he was the high he was I think the highest paid assistant coach to David Blatt like in NBA history like he, he got a contract that was unheard of and he's he obviously has a track record of success he has a ring he's one of seven I guess maybe eight now I'm not sure when this came out right if he was but, being included but, but he's one of a handful right of coaches with a ring. It is a Fine. very small uh -huh. sample size, and it is directly connected to LeBron, yes. who is about as great a way as exists to and, cover your bases and when it comes to trying to win a championship. And, and an instant diminisher of that accomplishment for a coach like, like yes. Lou, who was brand new into the job. Yeah, and, you know this is this is sort of gets to what we're asking from from the kid again. You know, it, is you know Ty Lue signing is strange? Isn't that like firing Trump and giving the job to Pence? No, I, I don't. I, I don't think that's actually fair to Lou because he is a very different coach, particularly in sort of the execution of a game plan. I was going to say he's known Doc. as a great X's and O's, X's guy. And O's guy. You know, Doc is Doc's primary um, selling point is culture. It's yep. locker room. It's delivery. It's making guys kind of pull in the same direction. That's what Philly to get. The Mbutu. Yes, the, the, the money, the money in the ceiling. All that it's stuff. all the stuff. Yes, it's all the stuff that he did to keep that team together after Donald Sterling. That was pure, you know, the the personalities that were in that Boston locker room, making all of that work. And that was an interesting group of, of fellows. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I mean, like if you were to write a book about the that Celtics team, you could call it an interesting group of fellows. So you you have that, and that's Doc's primary thing. Lou gets a lot of credit for a lot of the same things. He, he is incredibly well respected among players, but is I think considered to be a better, or not I don't think I know he's considered to be a better X's and O's guy, um, a more modern coach, a guy with a, a, a more modern philosophy. I mean, I, I I don't necessarily know that Lou isn't a better coach than Doc. I, don't I mean, know. he's got a shorter track record, but I don't but know. I don't know if he's. I, I'm not going to say definitively that in today's NBA that 
Ty Lue isn't a better coach than Doc? I have no idea. I mean, just because Lue's sample size is so small. And look, a lot a lot could get worked out for Ty Lue if whoever returns from that team, and you, you look at the principles, you look at Kawhi, you look at Paul George, you look at Lou Williams, you know, the, the guys that you're expect I guess, I guess expecting back who matter. Right. And they all kind of look at each other in the mirror and be like, we got to get our shit together because we blew yeah, we just, we just, guys, we we blew a yeah. huge opportunity. And absolutely if, if they come back with the mindset of we're putting all of that shit aside and we are not going to worry anymore about the locker room dynamic of you know, our Paul George and Kawhi Leonard interlopers of, you know, this little engine that could, you know, grimy, gritty identity we had before. It's like, you know what? You you guys two years ago did something pretty impressive when you played the Warriors tight in that first round. You also had no ceiling higher than what you did. Like if right. you guys actually want to win, you know, like Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Harold, if he is ended up, if he does end up back, like if you guys want to go anywhere further than just the scrappy underdog story, you need guys like Kawhi and Paul George because they're better than you. Like they're yeah. way. Be- Say whatever you want about the the Paul George slander. Paul George is better than all of them yeah. by a mile. And I, there, you know, I'm writing about this. Thing. It'll be on the Athletic tomorrow, I believe. Like so, sort of big picture, kind of meta off-season questions for the Lakers. The, the sort of the stuff you consider before you get into the nitty-gritty of who do we bring back? Which free agents do we target? Like, I mean, there's a lot of time for all of that stuff to happen. Guys are opting in. Guys are opting out. There's there's a lot of that that's going to be going on. And before that happens, though, you sort of make these, I think every team goes through and you make these big-picture evaluations. And one of them, I think, for the Clippers is how much do we react to what we just saw in the bubble? Like, how much... how. Do, it is possible to absolutely overreact to to what happened there. It is also possible to completely underreact and, and to, to play it all off as a function of the stoppage of the season and, you know, Montrezl Harrell's grandmother and the tragedy there and, you know, the, the weirdness of, like, the Lou Williams thing only happens because there's a bubble. Like, yeah. in a normal season, Lou Williams goes to get strip club wings, and it's not a big deal, and he doesn't miss games because of it and all that. Patrick so, Beverly like, was hurt. He was playing he was playing with hurt. a bad hamstring. Yes. You know, and had been in and things, out of the bubble. Zubats had COVID, things, I think. Yes. I, think, I believe so. Um, there were things that happened that were strange. And... God, I hope don't have to repeat themselves. I hope they don't have to have another playoff bubble next year and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, how do you? How, you don't want to overreact to the wrong stuff, the things that are unlikely to happen again. But at the same time, you also don't want to underplay things that really were legitimate problems. And that's, I think, why you have to hire Lou because he's the he he saw it. I, I if you just, bring in Jeff Van Gundy, if you bring in other like name the next best coach that was on there, even if he's a great coach equal to or even slightly better than Lou. He doesn't have the institutional knowledge to know what to overreact to and what to underreact to. And I, I was going to say critical in the situation. Ultimately, whether you I guess react pretty strongly or you know react in a way that feels like you're keeping a lot in perspective, ultimately the reason is the why. Like the, how you ultimately end up reacting to this comes down to the why. Mm-hmm. And those guys have to really figure out in a very honest way 
why did this happen? Yep. And then once you come up with the answer of why did this happen, it turns into how do we prevent this from happening again? And it's going to require a lot of people being really, really honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's you know, the Lakers have an, an evaluation to make in that sense too, because they are obviously quite good. Um, but the, you know, but they also have to figure out like, there's a lot going on here in terms of machinations of, you know, what do you do for the next summer? Like the idea has been all along, the Lakers currently have one player under contract for next summer. I mean, it's going to be two when Anthony Davis signs and, you know, other people will end up on that list, but right now they have one guy under contract going into the, the bonanza summer of 2021 and it's LeBron. So, you know, and, and Palenka's made no secret of it. And I think it's very smart. They've done a great job managing their cap. They didn't eat into that space to try to help with this year. They, they, they want max cap space for that offseason. The question I think is interesting is if if the gap between the Lakers and the rest of the conference is as large as it's going to get right now, and it might be the Lakers have LeBron, you know, he's the age he is now, he's only going to be a year or two or three or whatever older going forward. They have fewer assets going forward than they uh, do now. They have a draft pick this year. They have Kuzma. They have, you know, a $15 million Danny Green. They have some things that they can do to try to really improve it. And they showed that they they went 12 and three in the playoffs against the, the West. They won the conference by a bunch of games. Like there's a gap right now between the Lakers and other teams. Do you press that even if it, means you don't have as much flexibility next summer. Like that's a decision they have to make this off season. Cause it, you could argue if they do, it helps them go back to back, but hurts them down the line. I've seen enough big contracts get moved and enough con enough cap space get creative that I feel like it's not as hard as we often used to treat it. I mean, obviously the no, Lakers sure. are the Lakers are in a bit of a different position because you know they don't control as many of their draft picks. They right. they can't sell know. off a lot of the stuff. Right. Exactly. But but I'm I'm a pretty big believer in the idea of we've seen how many teams have we seen that it seemed like had absolutely no ability to to create cap space or create room or move X contract. You know, I mean Timofey Mozgov used to be considered this unmovable contract. And, you know, that's why the Lakers had to include D'Angelo Russell, which they did in that deal. Yeah. Oh, no, now, I mean, Mozgov now gets tossed around like my car loan. Mozgov like got... Really a different yeah. bank owns it. Mozgov got moved twice since going to Brooklyn. Like, yes. there really is no such thing as an unmovable contract. And if you have the sweetener, though, I mean, right? If you have the sweetener, but um, but you can be creative. You can figure out ways. And in the meantime, you know the, the hypothetical off season that you could have cap space that you may or may not get that superstar. I I personally feel like pales by comparison to the legitimate opportunity that you know you have in front of you to win a championship. So you're talking you're talking about you're you're accepting the premise of what I'm talking about here that if the gap is you know big and it may not get you know that it's worth pressing in this upcoming season even if it compromises that cuz I oh, I agree. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean I you agree. know how I I don't 
I don't sweat cap space like or, I, I, or covet it the way a lot okay. of other people who cover the league do. Let me let me throw this at you. And I'm, I mean, people in the chat, you know, uh, you know, chime in here as well. The argument you, I think, the most compelling argument. I'm still thinking, like, it's all thought exercise stuff. I'm sort of thinking through it as I write. Even the most compelling argument against it is, you know, you want to make sure Anthony Davis feels like he's going to be taken care of for the next decade. And if you go out and you do stuff like that, um, I mean, I happen to think he's. I think it's it's right. It's a two year deal if he signs with like the option for the third. Then he can. There's out, a few out, different out, ways he can do it. Or like he gets ways. that extra bonus for being a ten year guy and whatever it might be. But you do want to make sure he feels like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not just selling everything out right now for LeBron. We're going to take care of you in your 30s as well. And I don't know what they could – I mean, I don't, there's no max guys out there that you, you know, you'd go crazy for this offseason anyway. So it, it's kind of really – it is a little bit hard for them to spend really stupid money. Um, the, the, the way they could spend a lot of money is in a trade. It's, they don't have the ability to sign a max guy anyway. Um, but like you just overstepping a little bit to where AD gets a little squeamish. I think that's the only downside because I agree with you. I, you can't predict who's going mean, like. There's no guarantee they're going to attract a third star, a third Giannis-like superstar next off season. No, they, they no. You know, they didn't get him this year. They didn't get the third guy this year. No, okay. no. I mean, they they in there have been a lot of times where people have assumed the Lakers were going to get the star that they had targeted because they're the Lakers. Or, you know, the, the Lakers, for example, clearly thought they were going to get Paul George last year. They oh, yeah. clearly thought Absolutely. that because they weren't willing to trade Brandon Ingram or the pick that turned into Lonzo to get Paul George. And they were clearing the decks in ways that was about more than just prepping for LeBron, who they also, rightly, thought they had in the bag too. They thought they were getting... LeBron and Paul George. Now, you know, it ended up working out for Better. the best. Anyway, they, I would rather have Anthony Davis than Paul George. But you never know how this stuff is going to work out. What you do know for certain is you have a foundation now that can win you another championship. And you also have a top five player who's only getting better who's in his mid-20s. He's in his prime years now. And I, I just... I, I, I I, as I go through what the conference looks like next year, where guys are going, like you say, so many things change and whatever. But like, it's hard to think of the Lakers being coming. Like, I guess we get you know you get the, uh, another star next year. LeBron's still very good. There, you know, I get it. But this is probably as far ahead of the competition as they're going to get. Where other teams are sitting, every other team in the Western Conference is going right now. How do we? It's not that the Lakers have two of the five best players in the league, or you could argue by the end of the season, the two best players in the league. Um, I mean, just that you can even have that discussion is kind of stunning. It's it's who those guys are, because it's not like the the backcourt of Clay and Steph, where you know, as brilliant as those guys are, they're Steph Curry and Clay, and they kind of fit into a place where their backcourt guys been Clay on the wing or whatever. LeBron plays power forward like a point guard. AD is a center who can do shooting guard things and can pass the ball and can play. Like you need a really specialized group of people to counter that. The Clippers think they they thought they had it 
and maybe they do when they get their shit together. But that's a it's a unique combination the league hasn't figured out yet. It's still ascending or could be. I just don't think it gets better than whatever they're going to roll back with next year with those two guys. I mean, and and we found that you can kind of just sort of put the right infrastructure and it doesn't have to include stars. It doesn't need a designated third score. It doesn't need any of that stuff and win. It is really, really hard to win championships. Like I, I, I think sometimes, especially Laker fans, because they've, been around so much winning, I think they lose perspective sometimes of just how difficult it is to win. It is so, so hard. And if you have a legitimate opportunity in front of you to win a championship, I just really firmly believe you deal with the now, now, and you worry about the later, later. I mean, just this opportunity that they have right now with this foundation... You got a right. chance. Go for it. Right, right. But and and you know what? They have a better chance right now than Daryl Morey ever figured that yeah. he had. And like, and for I example, that, I, I don't know what that looks like in this offseason. Well, you know, here, like, okay, you know. here's an example. KCP, uh, there are reports coming yeah. out that he's going to be opting out of the eight, I think it's eight point five million right. that he is owed for next next year. Um, the general consensus is that he outplayed that figure. Um, you know, and it's particularly during the playoffs. I'm looking right now at uh, the advanced numbers for different two-man combinations um, for the Lakers in the playoffs. KCP and AD together were fantastic. LeBron and AD together, also fantastic. Like the KCP, if say it requires an extra year. Three and ten, whatever it is, you know, three three and thirty, three and thirty-six. That eats into some of that cap space. But you've got a it's easy to forget, pretty young guy too, who plays in particular really well with your two star players. I wouldn't worry about cap flexibility. I would come up with a deal that works and keep him. Yeah. I and and the Lakers can. I mean, he's expected to opt out. They can keep him. Rondo is did he already, I think, declared or whatever it is, you know, reportedly he's going to opt out. The Lakers can still keep him. Now, Rondo, you don't break the bank for. Um, you don't go seven years with Rajon Rondo. But, you know, if, if it's a one-and-one that somebody else is going to give him and it costs you $5 million instead of the minimum this year or whatever it is, you know, I think, you know, they'll spend, I think you can go ahead and spend your whatever, whichever exception you have that, they'll end up with it. They will inevitably eat into some of their space, whatever. I agree with you. Like, first of all, too, if you don't sign somebody who's terrible, you can find a way to trade them. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said before, like that is possible. And maybe you keep coups around for that. I, or maybe, but you know, I, I don't think you want to run it back the same. Like the, the Lakers had incredible chemistry this year, but I think even if you ran the exact same team back next year, the context would change. Something would be different. You're not, you're not going to get exactly the same result. And so, I mean, I think every team needs its Ron Artest. That guy who comes in, the Lakers between 2009 and 2010 basically were the same team. Like they had some fringe guys who were here, but like the core of that team was exactly the same, except they added Ron, you know, who became meta. And I think that was a really important part of that, that you had this, this guy 
who was constantly driving, who the one guy who didn't have the title, the one guy who wanted a ring and wasn't going to let everybody kind of just rest back. And I don't, you don't picture that with LeBron. You don't picture that with AD um, and other, but like, it's just different like, to have that guy there, that extra 5% or whatever it might be. I think it's important to not bring it back exactly the same. So, yeah, I don't know exactly who that guy would be. I don't know who I mean. And look, truth be told, that wasn't the Lakers' plan. The Lakers' plan was to re-sign Trevor Ariza. Correct. I mean, they, they, the Lakers weren't looking to move past Ariza. Ariza wanted more money and ironically ended up signing for the exact amount that the Lakers were offering him. But in um, a different state. Yes. Lower um, taxes. Yes. Uh, um, I, I believe he got a new agent. And so, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I think I, yeah, he actually no, right. did. No, you're exactly right. I did, it's, it's just one of these things. And I, and I, I, it's not a good free agent year. So you don't want to be going around spending I mean, like somebody like Danilo Gallinari would be great, but like, uh, you know, cause he really actually, first of all, he's an excellent player. Second of all, he, you know, he really would fill that role of a third score. I oh think yeah. Would He'd be great. He would more than happy to kind of fall in line and accept a smaller scoring role that will probably allow him to stay healthier, to be perfectly honest. He's not a terrible defender um, when he's healthy. He's just he never to the line constantly. Yeah, and he's just he's he's a re- he's a really good player. That um, guy, by the way, Gallinari, if he had not had the injuries throughout his career, like you're talking about a multi all-star player. I like his so. his talent was he is an excellent player. Yeah. Um, so I mean, like, but he'd he'd have to he's he would have to play for less here. Oh yeah. And again, I don't know. I don't. I, the, I get the 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 exception. I don't even know if they know what exception they have yet, um, because the rules are so complicated. Um, but like somebody like that, but you know, that's a guy you 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 spend money on. But then again, like, or do you make a trade? Do you package Green and um, Kuz and whoever they draft at twenty eight, wait thirty days, and and then trade them, draft them for someone else? Do you package that for someone else? You know, Eric Pincus wrote today about Chris Paul coming back to LA. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but like, do you think big that way? I don't know if I go that big. Um, I, I mean, you know, what's funny is, I mean, I, but it, I, I'd, I'd watch that team. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's funny, Paul, actually. Like, Anthony Davis, I, I'm watching. I mean, the the trade, and I'll make this clear this is not a rumor uh, that Eric. No, was he was reporting right there. He, he was trying to come up with just a, a machination that would make it work because Chris Paul's contract is in and of itself not easy to obtain because it's it's hefty and you have to have the numbers match. But it was like um, Danny Green, Kuz, I think Quinn Cook, JaVale McGee, who has to opt in, maybe Avery Bradley and like a pick. It's a lot, but it doesn't feel like a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it For Chris Paul? Right. I mean, On it's a talent a, level. Oh God, that's a steal. Yeah. I mean, like you have to think about, do we have enough depth, like just to replace what you'd have in Kuzma and green, you know, the other guys, and I guess Bradley, if he's in that thing, but I mean, I think what we learned about Kyle Kuzma this year is he can be replaced. Yeah. Because what he does on this team is not really what his skill set says, you know, it makes him valuable. I don't mean that as a slam on Kuz. I mean, on this team, it doesn't, we talked about this throughout the year. It doesn't matter what Kuz could do on another team. It doesn't matter how if he could score 23 points a game playing for Charlotte, which he probably could. It doesn't, it only matters what he can do on this team. And on this team, he's not that guy because he can't be. And it's, again, not a slam on him. I mean, it would be better if he shot the ball better. I mean, there, you know, he does have some control over this, but overall, you understand my point. Yeah. So um, yeah, we do, I mean, on a talent level, I do that in a heartbeat. 
I mean, the problem uh, with CP is that he's due forty million. I forty million think, or dollars like in the next, I think, eight years. <laughs> it's a <laughs> lot of money. Um, but yeah, KCP. Unless the money, unless the money from a competitor is insane, and I don't think it will be. I think, I think there's a good chance he's back. Yeah, and and I think they there should be. They, 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 they don't have anybody to like. If you let him go, you got to replace him, and they have no way to really replace him. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. And, and you don't want to make the team worse. Like at the very least, if you're not going to go all in and try to get, but you can't get worse because no. you don't want to close that gap. You don't want to do people favors and close the gap between you and, and the rest of the conference. And he real again, he really played well yeah. with the two guys that matter. He played yep, very, very well. Um, it seems to fit perfectly into the culture. So yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, really we, quick before. Um, and you know, there's the Rondo question. I mean, a lot of with Rondo, it really just comes down to how much is somebody else willing to offer him? Yeah. Um, if somebody else gives him a one and one, you know, one with a team option for the next year and it's seven, it doesn't matter what they pay him this year. Um, you know, if he, if somebody wants to give Rondo $13 million, but you can get out of it out of that second year. Yeah. Pay him, whatever. Give him $13 million and get out of it in the second year. That's it's length with Rondo, not money. This is an interesting question from Joe Salazar 11, and I do not know the answer to this. Mm -hmm. Does Jim Buss get a ring? I have no idea. He still is technically an owner, isn't he? I he didn't sell his portion of the team. But like right? if you're an estranged owner, like do you get a different ring? <laughs> like like a like a crappier ring? Like do you get the same ring as everyone else? Because he's kind of like, he's like persona non grata. I mean, the, at least the last I heard, him, him and Johnny, like they're not, I haven't heard anything about that thing getting mended. Have you? No, no, I think we'd have heard about that. that That's a, great we need to ask somebody he, like Momo. He's, he's still an owner. Like he didn't, it, I mean, they didn't, Fire no, I, him from his shares of the team. No, oh no, they they can't get that lucky. I don't think you can do that. They they would <laughs> if, they, if they could. They would, but I I have no idea. That's a really interesting question. And if he gets a ring, how pissed off are the other bus siblings going to be? I don't know. I mean, it's and Johnny it's doing business. Chaz get a ring. Shelly Sterling, you know, the number one fan. Yeah. Uh, we still have not, and we'll save it. And it's good because it's evergreen, and you, you never know when you need these sorts of things. That that Mel Gibson trailer is bonkers. Oh, you haven't seen yeah. it. Um, it's a Christmas movie. I got to admit, I'll watch, but it is bonkers. And so I feel we'll, like, we'll, uh, feel like we'll I'm do that in a shower after, but yeah. Um, really excited. To, oh, we, we never did this. We never did the thing where we do the crawl of who's coming up. Um, so we'll do that now. Really, all you're all you're really learning is tomorrow Gustavo Ariano, and then on Monday Mirren Fader. We actually have um, a lot of next week set up, so we'll we'll, we'll set you up. But the, the important thing to know about Gustavo Ariano is coming on tomorrow, and we're really excited. We are going to talk about the election. We're going to talk about Orange County. We're going to talk about all that stuff. We are also going to talk about tortillas. I am heading out to a couple places tomorrow to pick up tortillas that are in the KCRW. Uh, tortilla tournament that Gustavo is running. Um, Andy and I are going to eat them and we're going to learn about what makes a really good tortilla and why uh, you, you should pay attention to them, particularly in this town. So Gustavo Ariano tomorrow uh, and Mirren Fader, great, great young writer. 
um, one of the best feature writers out there right now from Bleacher Report. She'll join us on Monday. Elsie Granderson's going to come on uh, yeah. on Wednesday. Excited. Uh, we had, one of our best early shows was with LZ, and it got cut short. And it was because it was like all basically about Prince. Like we were talking yeah. about nothing but Prince that night. Yeah. Uh, and um, that was one of our best shows. So we're excited about that. Um, thanks to everybody for stopping in uh and again our condolences to the to the espn family um of football writers and to uh von mcclure's family you know the the and then we'll have Lindsay theory back um whenever really she wants uh so uh a sad day today for for espn really the football community um and we'll see everybody next time thanks thank you Niederland. 